0: Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Later this hour, cricket farming. It's growing by leaps and bounds. But first, when I was growing up, I knew about two performing arts high schools, Juilliard and LaGuardia. That's the one in fame. But there are actually hundreds of these schools around the country, schools that require you to do an audition to get in and allow students to work with professionals and hone their skills in their chosen field. Icon Arts Academy in Iowa City is the first performing arts boarding high school in Iowa, and they've just started holding auditions. Leslie Nolter, founder, executive, and artistic director of Icon Arts Academy is here with me now. Leslie, welcome. Good
2: morning, Charity.
1: Thank you. So good to see you again. It's wonderful to have you here. She's also the founding, uh, founder and executive and artistic director of Nolte Academy oh, yeah. in Coralville, which has been training dancers and singers and actors for many twenty three years. years, 23 years now. So Leslie, tell me a little bit about the seeds of this dream. Where did the idea of starting a high school
2: come from? Absolutely. So it feels about 12 to 13 years old. That's when I feel like it started rumbling um, in my heart and soul <laughs> and brain. And um, really where it came from was the idea that adolescent children could and should spend all of their days doing what they love. And when they are supported and doing what they love and being cared for as a whole person, they can learn anything after the fact. That coupled with the idea that over the last 23 years, Nolte Academy continued to see performing artists leave our state to get to the next level. And these were kids that left at 13 years old and 14 years old. And I was noticing that leaving Iowa, you know, as, as as the brain drain might, might right. go, I didn't like how that felt. And I kept looking around saying, we have all of the assets here in Iowa City to keep them here, but still get them to the level that they're wishing for and what their goals include. And when I saw these kids go off, um, obviously ones I loved that may have been with me since kindergarten. Right. And even your daughter. Even my daughter, yes, who moved to Houston at 14 years old. They... Their craft was so was their craft was so cared for and at times including my daughter and the experience that I you know went through with her what in what and how she ate the academic piece some of the pieces outside of the arts education were not part of the curriculum at some of these um, schools, and and those aren't aren't traditional schools, they're pre-professional programs, and so they don't have to. And I kept saying, wait a minute, what if they got everything within the arts but didn't have to take away any of the academics? Why can't we fuse the two but put arts first and really just flip the model? Um, And I suppose the very base of this dream is I am addicted to other people reaching their dreams, and I felt like our teams and community here in Iowa City was just the perfect place.
1: So I want to go back and talk about your personal experience because I'm sure that everything that you've gone through as a professional dancer yourself, as a student yourself, as a mother, as a teacher, all of those things are the elements that are coming together in creating Icon Academy. So when you were pursuing that dream of becoming a professional dancer. What were your options?
2: My options outside of Chicago were, you know, I did regular public school. And when the bell rang, I ran to the train station or hopped in my car at, at of age. And I spent from 4.30 to 10.30 p.m. doing the grind. And you have to, just like any athlete, you have to spend hours doing what it is you love in order to compete if that's your dream. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we can't just go twice a week and then expect to reach the next level and so there's something about enough hours in the day that well they don't exist they don't exist when you when you do things maybe in a more traditional sense and for some of my most um most skilled and talented dancers at nolte academy they're making it work Right, it absolutely works. You go to traditional school, and then you spend your six hours in the rehearsal space, and then you go home and you do your homework, and you try to go to bed on a decent time, and you wake up the next day. Right, like it does work, um, and they're being competitive. But there's just this model to put arts first for the whole human that some kids would benefit from. This is this is not a 100. percent, You know, not everyone's going to love something like this, um, but as a mother. You see the grind, um, and as an actual dancer, I remember so much of my life growing up saying, "What do I have to do to compete with the masses when it's time?" And some students are able to make that balance happen. And compete is is a little bit of the wrong word, but I think as a as a dancer, you you have to think of it like that. Eventually, your life is going to end up in a mass audition, right? And if you want that dream, you have to be at a certain level. And I believe that there, that there is a place for a certain group of students that just wants to flip the model and would benefit from flipping the model.
1: In your experience as a teacher, having those students who did want to pursue that kind of professional development. I mean, I know that you have many students. I drive by Nolte Academy, so I see the dancers there (laughs) until 10 o'clock at night. Um, But you had those students who were like, no, I, I want to go. I want to find this program. And your daughter, again, moved off to Houston when she was 14 years old. So you have gotten at least from a distance, kind of an inside view into a number of these programs around the country. Some are more traditional performing arts high schools. Others are these performing arts programs or dance programs where the students will pursue their academics outside. Of, totally on their own. Right. And and of course, online education has enabled that to be a possibility, whereas it wasn't for a long time. So looking at all of these programs, What are some of the things that you saw that you loved and thought, oh, that's something that I can integrate into what I want to do?
2: Yes, absolutely. So when I looked at some of these programs, not only did the hours in the space of education, um, you know, I I loved seeing that. They were able to get the kids fresh in the morning, um, you know, well-rested and fresh, not after till 2 a.m., right, trying to like – Uh, compete with the whole grind. So I was watching these kids come in fresh, be in a group of students that are like-minded and being cared for from these arts educators that really put the arts first in whatever genre we're speaking of. This would be, of course, um, different for a ballet class at 10 a.m. than it would be for an improv class for the theater art students. And then when, um, so my curriculum and instruction uh, design is Dr. Beth Brown. Um, and she started with me about seven years ago on this particular project, ICON. And we traveled schools all over the country. And we sat with their um, their student life directors and their arts education um, directors, their executive directors. And they were so generous with their time. And we took from all of these schools, including Interlochen and North Carolina School of the Arts, um, we visited charter schools, and totally private boarding schools to start seeing the shapes of what this could look like in Iowa City. And what I loved was the opportunity for the dancers or the theater artists or the visual artists to put their passion first. And what I continued to see was when they put their passion first, everything else certainly didn't come easy. But when you are loving what you're doing, then even something that you don't love comes comes easier, right? So if you...
1: Feels like less of a burden.
2: It does feel like less of a burden. And so we kept seeing, we met with students, we saw performances within their spaces and it started feeling like such a beautiful collection of kids that just all wanted, wanted something a little bit different. And then what I, some, what I didn't see wholly was the, the mom of five thing in me, which was, what are they doing as soon as classes are over? And can we teach them how to hard boil eggs and bake chicken? And can we create a student life director, which um, we're excited that we have a student life director that is wholly in charge of their, of their lives outside of the classroom? Um, how, can we, how can we meet them every week where they are? How can we give them a physical therapist at the tips of their fingers and a mental health therapist and reach these children at the worst and best age of adolescence and get within them something that no matter what they choose to do when they leave high school. I mean, I certainly believe that someone that comes in as a sound or a light designer will go off to be an engineer. Not everyone's going to Broadway, right? So... I kept saying, we can take the best of the arts pieces that I'm seeing everywhere and couple that with the best of the support system for the holistic individual along the way. And to me, again, as the mother of five in me, which you, um, <laughs> that piece is like, I love educating children, but I also know how to put a team together that cares about the whole being. And then I think if you have the whole being, you. I mean, sky's the limit. Right. That's how it feels.
1: I, I mentioned earlier that online education has opened up a lot of opportunities, you know, in a lot of ways. And I watched you take advantage of an opportunity that came with the pandemic in Iowa City when suddenly there was a full online option. You did kind of a soft launch of Icon Academy.
2: We did. We All the kids were home. And so what we did inside the space um, at our current Nolte Academy building is we brought them in during the day. We tested our curriculum. It was full day programs. And it was, it, I mean, f- for being a pandemic, It was one of the best years we've ever had. I mean, the kids came in and they, again, we were fully masked and we kept the group small. But certainly the kids really benefited, benefited, I mean, mental health alone, having somewhere to go when so many of their um, neighbors and friends and colleagues were stuck at home. Yeah. And we created so much art that year. It was so great. We had a theater arts program, um, a vocal program, and it was it was pretty special and we saw that it can work.
1: All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm talking with Leslie Nolter Nolte, founder, executive and artistic director of Icon Arts Academy, a new performing arts high school boarding school in Iowa City. We will talk more in just a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at
2: orchestraiowa.com.
3: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of
1: Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to learn about the growing field of cricket farming. Right now entirely different subject, we are talking about a new performing arts high school, a boarding school in Iowa City. Icon Arts Academy in Iowa City is holding its first auditions right now, and the full school year will begin next year. The founder, Leslie Nolte, is here with me. And Leslie, just before the break, we were talking about, okay, this is a dream you've had for a long time. You have been preparing to launch this high school for years, and then 2020 hit, and things shifted pretty dramatically in a lot of ways. One of those ways is that the Iowa City Community School District developed an entirely online curriculum, and that has endured. Even as most students have returned to physical school buildings, there is still an online school in Iowa City. So that allowed you to do a little soft launch, some experimenting with your ideas about Icon Academy. But it's also one of the pieces of the puzzle that now is allowing you to fully launch ICON Academy. Tell me about this partnership between Iowa City Community Schools and ICON.
2: Absolutely. The online program is allowing ICON to start five to seven years sooner than it could have. I mean, this is one of the pandemic blessings. Um, And so what this allows is the, we have a fabulous district here. I mean, the education is so wonderful. And what it allows is our students to take asynchronously from the Iowa City Community School District Online Program, OLP, their core classes. So what that would look like in a day is we put the arts first. Um, We have 90 minutes every day blocked out specifically for learning coaches um, on a one to eight kind of uh, ratio to work with these. So it's like a personal tutor along sure, the way yeah. for the online school. And the online classes will also be grouped within the classes. So it'll feel like you're taking your class online, but you'll also be in a group of eight. You'll have right? some so, classmates. Yeah, you'll have some classmates for your online program. And what this has allowed is, you know, the academic piece was the one thing holding us up. Um, and it, for the independent school certification, that takes a, that takes – quite a bit longer. So the online academy um, or online program for ICCSD and their willingness um, and excitement to partner with us was the piece of the puzzle that it's the it's the best thing that has come out of the pandemic for <laughs> Icon Arts Academy. Um, and we don't have to forego the quality of education that our school district here has. Um, and we also don't have to compete with them by way of taking anybody out of their district you know, and, right. and we're talking dollars too. So, what this allows is just the best of both worlds, in my opinion. And I'm I'm so excited that the school district and the school board has um has jumped on board to partner with us. It's a blessing.
1: You have also had a couple of other pieces of the puzzle fall into place. A few years ago, um, you purchased a theater in downtown Iowa City, the James Theater. Renovated that space, and and it's been a very active theater ever since. Tell me about the physical school.
2: Absolutely, the campus is on the north side of Iowa City, and one piece of the puzzle was, of course, the uh, Riverside Theater Company leaving the Gilbert Street theater space, which we saw as an opportunity for a performance space. And then soon after that, the Le James Beauty School um, vacated Brewery Square, which is two blocks from the theater. And then because we're a university campus, the opportunity for residential housing is robust. And so on the north side campus, um, it's a two-block walk between our theater space, the Performing Arts High School, and within three blocks, um, we have the living situation, which would be chaperones, um, live-in chaperones, which is about a 1 to 10 ratio in apartment-style living. And so there's this very cool vibe on the north side where – Young students, certainly independence will be will be needed and will be gotten mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of these students. But they have in so many places to eat and we have the opportunities because of the learning coaches and the RAs and the guidance counselors. It'll feel like mini college, certainly, but also with independency to walk around a campus. And all of these pieces have come together almost directly related to the pandemic. So wow. how bizarre is it to celebrate that ever? Right. Um, and, you know, I'm but aware. Making but, the
1: most of a bad um, bad yeah.
2: situation and, and really grabbing
1: these opportunities. Um, so right now, you have already started holding auditions. How large do you expect the school to be in the first year?
2: The first year, our goal is somewhere between 75 and 140 students. That's what we are hiring for. Um, And so, our student life director has been hired. Our director of our chair of the theater arts department has been hired. Um, we had many people in for the Iowa City audition. Flew in, uh, looking at homes, you know, things oh, wow. like this yeah. on the staff and faculty team. So that 140 is is where we feel like we can start with the amount of people we need to hire and move here between now and July one, and then we our capacity for the school is about 320. Um, just physical space, curriculum-wise, the workshops, uh, project-based learning is is uh, the direction we're going. And so eventually, I would say five years from now, we'll have about 70 to 80 freshmen come on, coming in. These first two, three years, we won't have just a freshman class moving in. It'll be more of who... Students, finding, know, their students finding their place. Students finding their place, of course. Thank you.
1: So... Is there an option for students who live within commuting distance to be commuter students?
2: We imagine 20% will continue to be commuter students, absolutely. And that'll be—and then, you know, right now when we talk about um, a residence hall that will be solely for Icon Arts Academy, we're talking about 80-20. So when we get to that 320 mark— Um, That is a four year goal from now. When we are full at 320, we believe 80 percent will need housing and 20 percent will be commuters from, you know, I mean, any as far as you want to drive from certainly Cedar Rapids, you know, right. Tiffin, West Branch. Yeah,
1: there. um, Obviously, education is something that uh, a lot of people are talking about in Des Moines. It's been a a real focus over the last couple of years in the state legislature and uh, for the governor. Do any of the changes that have been made to education law in Iowa affect what you're doing. This is not a charter school. Correct. Not at
2: all. Um, The students of Icon Arts Academy will get a diploma from the Iowa City Community School District. And so it feels, while we're not a charter or a magnet school, it's sort of two schools put into one. You've got the private academy of Mm -hmm. Icon for your arts education, and then you have the public school for your academic. And certainly we are... Partnering a way that it will it won't feel like two schools it'll it'll be mashed into one, um, but no we are a um, benefit corporation private school. We you are a dancer you
1: <laughs> that has been your focus for forever, um, but. I've said performing arts so Mm -hmm. many times. Tell me about the arts that students can study at ICON Academy.
2: Yes, we're starting with five majors that we're very excited about. Uh, I'll start with dance. That is my expertise. And within that will be the classical and contemporary program with composition, also known as choreography. And every piece has a writing component. So in the dance piece, um, you may learn how to write for live speaking for the stage, for dance. And then we have theater arts, which, of course, is acting. And within the acting program, there will be screenplay, and that's the writing component. Um, We will have how to stage manage, yes, in the theater arts program. Uh, Then we have musical theater, which, of course, fuses the theater arts, the dance, and the voice program. Um, Then comes our music department, which is uh, voice and percussion and piano. So, of course, choral Um, voice, classical voice, contemporary, singer-songwriter, songwriting. Um, And then we have visual arts, design, and production. So this is one that I'm very excited about because we didn't see this at most places we visited. And to me, it's the beginning of like anything you want to do. So of course you have visual arts, which we all know as drawing, um, and more. And then design and production um, within that department, of course, becomes lighting, sound, set design, costume design, wig, makeup. And one thing I'm really excited about within this program particularly is you might not know, I mean, what eighth grader knows they want to be a light designer? You're not even given the opportunities yet. But maybe you like to tinker with, right, electric or Legos, or Mm -hmm. you know that your head is heading towards that way. And in the world of production design, imagine you walk in freshman year and you learn how to draw a body in our visual arts program. And you learn how to draw a body so that you can therefore draw a costume on said body. And then you have to present through producer directing and stage management classes to present that to the director after seeing a show or a script that someone in our school has written to present your costume design. And then you go to our costume room. And you make these costumes. And then by the time you've done your senior workshop, you have realized that entire through thread and you're watching a show now that you've costume designed.
1: <laughs> as, you, as you have been building this, uh, tell me about the recruitment process to find the instructors.
2: This was amazing. So Beth Brown and I um, put the, we just, we, we she um, is the writer of the two of us um, and she wrote Every, we wrote dreamy job descriptions, like this is what we want. We had about 100 applicants. Zoom interviewed first. Um, these are for six positions, the six leaders. And we, we Zoomed at this point about 75 people. And then, you know, you, you narrow it down. Um, and then this weekend, like five of our new contracted drove or flew in. To meet each other for the first time, and Beth and I left our first Iowa City audition, and you know, brunch with the team and the tour of the building, and everything. And we looked at each other. We're like, "This is the dream team." <laughs> I mean, we've created a dream team. Um, it's been, it's been truly. I don't know. My cup is full, and finding these humans and reaching out. I mean, we've got Boston, Salt Lake City, Upper Michigan, Missouri, uh, Miami. You know, some of the places that these artists are coming from. We also have some incredible local talent um, that has jumped on board for adjunct faculty that, you know, maybe because of their current job here, didn't want to lead a program. But also, I mean, you know, Dave Zola will be teaching. Who doesn't want to learn from Dave Zola, right? So it's like Iowa City is so wonderful. And this is proving it to me over and over again.
1: Tell me about that first audition. And you, you started in Iowa City, which makes a lot of sense. And you will be holding auditions around the country.
2: Yes. So we have a nine-city audition tour. And a lot of people are doing virtual. You know, it's, that's also more comfortable and doesn't cost anything to fly anywhere to find an audition. But it was incredible the quality of these artists. I was blown away. Every person we saw, I thought, they really have something special. And, you know, we, we, are, we are a specific type school. And we don't exist yet, so we're not even real. You have to trust. You right. have to trust who we are, our website, our staff. Um, it'll be much easier in two years from now, right? You know. Right. But sitting on the other side of that table with um, our panelists, it was really special. Whenever someone asked me, I told them I didn't know if I wanted to celebrate with a kazoo or like cry in a corner. Like I didn't know. Like my emotions were so robust. <laughs> um, but also seeing the panelists work with the students that the auditioners in real time, like, oh, great, beautiful monologue. Can you make this change? And then we watch the change happen. And I thought, oh my god, that monologue just got better in six minutes. Wait till four years. I've got four. We've got four years. <laughs> if that monologue was better in six minutes, that what what just those few words took out of somebody. So I hope that the pan- I hope that the auditioners had as as dreamy of a time as we did.
1: I, You probably don't know this entirely yet, but you've got this tour of um, auditions set up around the country. Do you know what kind of interest you're getting for those auditions? Because I, I can understand why Iowa students might be jumping at this opportunity, selling students um, on the East Coast on the idea of coming to Iowa to study dance or study musical theater might be a much harder sell. How is it going?
2: It's going okay. You know, I I really did think there was going to be a huge tidal wave right when we announced. That tidal wave didn't happen. We have, like, some some rolls of water that, you know, we're getting a lot of questions, a lot of excitement. Um, You know, through our Google Click analytics, which I have come to learn and kind of love the science of, uh, we are reaching who we want to reach and the pockets of the country we want to reach. And that feels like it's really... um, really becoming successful quickly now that we're sort of five months post launch and people are starting to look for next year and see who we are. Uh, So I believe we will get there. It wasn't as tidal wavy as I thought November one, but it feels really good. And right now, like I said, we, we have to build trust. Who are you? Why are you doing this? Why Iowa city? We're, we're just working really hard on building trust. And with every, um, Faculty member or leader that we hire, they bring you know we add we add to the to the team of oh, that's their theater arts teacher. Well, she's interesting, and we're getting more looks as that happens, so it's a slow build, as one of my friends said this weekend, when I think of you in this project, you've got the long game in mind, like this school will outlive you, Leslie, and that reminds me that. Noah's Ark wasn't built in a day, as they say, right?
1: (laughs) Private school is a privilege, historically, and uh, in reality. Do you have a scholarship program for students who may not be be able to afford something like this?
2: Uh, That is number one on our list after year one. We have to become something first, and then within our... um, P&Ls, performers, budgets, starting year two, we have a percentage of income that will always be going towards uh, scholarships. And that may look something like everybody gets 10% off or 10% get 100% off. And so that is absolutely built in. That's very important to Mark and I. It's very important to our team. Um, We do not want to be a school for the haves. um, But as we don't know who we are quite yet. I mean, we know who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, We did not set that up for year one. Um, We need to build first to know and, you know, to really put money in the bank. But our intentions along this is an investor backed school uh, and they're all on board. They're all on board to get that scholarship system going year two. When does the school year begin? August of 2023.
1: Wow. Exciting. And Leslie, we only have about a minute left, but you are an Iowan who has built multiple businesses and you have these incredible visions that you are able to, to make into a reality. Do you have any wisdom to share for people who have been dreaming of doing something big like this for years?
2: You just have to stick with it. Nothing happens quickly, and I think as soon as you really feel the patience... Like I've seen Nolte Academy grow over 23, year, 23 years into something so glorious, um, which I'm not leaving, of course. and right. I'm not like stepping away, but wonderful things take time. And, and this day and age, because of Instagram reels and 15 seconds of, of comedy that sort of fills my, my laughter cup of the day, um, things are so fast. But when you have a big dream, you just have to stick with it.
1: Well, Leslie, Congratulations. And I'm sure we will be hearing more. Thank Thank you, you, Charity. Thank you for being here. Leslie Nolte is the founder, executive, and artistic director of Icon Arts Academy. It's a performing arts high school boarding school in Iowa City, and they are auditioning students right now around the country. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk about a cricket farm in Story County. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
3: It's Talk
1: of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. The first cricket farm in Iowa, an operation dedicated to raising crickets for human consumption, was founded back in 2016. Back then, eating crickets seemed like a pretty far out idea. And... Honestly, maybe it still does. But crickets are a growing source of protein in the United States and around the world. And the number of cricket farming operations is growing, too. Shelby Smith is the founder of eats Crickets in Collins in Story County. She started up her operation in 2018 and now has products in roughly 200 stores in 20 different states. And she is on the line with me now. Hello, Shelby.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, thank you for being here. And I know that uh, farming crickets was not your plan A. So tell
0: me a little bit
1: about how you got here.
0: Plan A? I don't think it was plan B, C, or D either, (laughs) honestly. Um, Yeah, so I grew up here in central Iowa just outside of Ames on a very traditional corn and soybean farm. Uh, my dad grew up as a dairy farmer. He ended up settling around here in Ames and, and doing the whole corn and soybean thing. But growing up, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with agriculture. There's always a story of my my mom dropping me off to ride in the tractor with my dad and him calling her not 10 minutes later being like, come get her. She's climbing up the walls. <laughs> so. I was definitely not the shoe in to come take over. Luckily, I was pretty good at basketball, so I ended up with a full scholarship to play basketball out at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia where I earned a finance degree. And then I went overseas and continued my playing career with a program called Sport Changes Life based out of Northern Ireland. So that was part service. We coached in underprivileged areas, part education. So I earned my master's in finance from Trinity College in Dublin. And then we also got to continue our playing career. So I played in the National Premier League there in Ireland. So I was able to play professionally for a few years. Ended up graduating from Trinity With a finance degree, like I said, master's in finance, fell in love with Ireland, wanted to stick around and keep playing, but really didn't want to do the coaching thing. So I ended up going on the job hunt and wound up as an equity derivatives trader for a Canadian bank there in Dublin for about three and a half years before I figured out that wasn't what I wanted to do either. And in late 2017, handed in my notice and moved back to the family farm here in central Iowa that I said that I would never come back to.
2: Yeah. (laughs) All right. So So you came
0: back to the farm, but how did the crickets come into this? Yeah, great question. So, when I initially got back, like the crickets were not even a thought yet. It was more of a, okay, let's go back to the farm, regroup. You know, I've never really tried this farming thing, so let me try it out and see if I like it. Spoiler alert, it was still not my thing. Um, But so I helped my dad that harvest because I got back on October 1st, helped my dad with that harvest. We got everything in the shed, and, you know, we had a little bit more time to sit down and breathe and. And he said, if you don't want to, if you want to, you know, learn this, the corn and soybeans, a traditional ag, I can teach you, no problem at all. Or, you know, if you want to find some sort of a, a niche market, go for it and we'll help you get started. Little did he know that a uh, a few weeks later, I'm, I'm an avid podcast listener and have been for, for many years. And Eating Bugs came up on like three different podcasts in the same month. So I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then on January 1st of 2018, I do not remember what I was searching around the internet for or what really prompted me to it, but I came upon an article about the Iowa cricket farmer out in Keystone, like you said, established in 2016. And I sent it to both of my parents and I said, oh, I think I could do this. And, you know, to their credit, they didn't say no. They said, great, do some research and come back to us. And then 10 days later, you know, I didn't get quite the answers I wanted in the research. So I just bought 10,000 crickets and said, well, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So
1: obviously that has grown uh, quite a bit and um, it's 10,000 crickets is not that many. So tell me how large your operation is now.
0: Right. 10,000 crickets, you know, for the average person, that seems like you know, nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine too many, right? Uh, possibly ten thousand too many if it's a male and it's chirping in your house. But um, yeah, so now I have expanded to a million to two million crickets every forty five days or so. And uh, but that that will even pale in comparison to the the new facility that we'll hopefully be building out here later this spring.
1: What does that sound like to be in a space with a million crickets?
0: Yeah, great question. Everybody asks that. Everybody says, you know, is it really loud? Like, do you need sort of ear protection? And my answer is, What most people don't realize is that not all crickets chirp. It's only the males that chirp, and it's only when they're ready to breed. So believe it or not, the majority of the time, assuming that all of the crickets in our barn are the same age, they are totally silent Hmm. as far as chirping goes until about the last week of their life when they're ready to breed, and then the females lay eggs and we start over with the next generation. How do you harvest crickets? Yeah, great question. Um, that is probably my my second question that I get all the time. Behind where do we get our crickets? Everybody wants to know how we um, euthanize them. They are they're killed in the freezer. So first of all, you know we separate everything out of their growing bins. We take away all of their food, their water, their breeding trays, their housing. We get those out of the bins. We clean out their frass, which is just a nice name for, for cricket excrement. And um, then we take the clean crickets and we separate them out and they are refrigerated to slow them down so that we can get them bagged and marked and then taken to the freezer at our, our processing plant in Collins. So uh, crickets is
1: is a growing market for crickets as a protein source, but there's still a ways to go to get uh, everybody on board with this idea. What are the majority of your crickets used for?
0: Yeah, without a doubt, we are still very early days. Um, even though edible insects have been eaten for thousands of years here in the West, it's still a fairly new concept. So you are totally right in that. Majority of my crickets, if you would have told me this when I started out back in 2018, that the majority of my sales, it's about 71% of them, are made up of the whole cricket, I I would have never believed you. Um, I would have thought for sure Americans needed it ground into a powder, mixed in, hidden in something. Um, but the majority of my sales are actually the the whole roasted cricket. So it still wow. looks like the bug. So
1: do you think that that's a novelty item? Or do you have clients who are eating these whole roasted crickets on a regular basis as, as a protein
0: source? Well, without a doubt, there are definitely novelty sales going on. And, and quite frankly, I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to just get crickets in mouths, if you will. And, and I do my best to make sure that we are the best tasting roasted cricket on the market. Because oftentimes with Americans, you're going to get one shot at getting them to try an edible insect. And so if I can make that experience better than they expected, then I've won. Um, but yes, I do have repeat customers at one point. So I have a subscription op- option available on my website so that people can get crickets automatically shipped to them every month and at one point majority of my subscriptions were actually our bulk bags of our roasted crickets so plenty of people that were putting them on as salad toppers or eating them by the handful so i definitely have repeat customers but yeah without a doubt there there is certainly a novelty novelty piece to all it right well. and, and sell me on the idea why should i eat crickets yeah. So crickets are actually 64% protein. Uh, they are a good source of iron, calcium, magnesium, B12, prebiotic fiber. And although most people don't necessarily think about them as animals, technically they are. So they have all nine essential amino acids in a bioavailable form, making them a complete protein, just like any other traditional animal protein sources, just smaller. And then obviously, You know, they, them being cold-blooded animals, it taking a fraction of the food, water, land to grow the same amount of protein as some of those traditional sources, they're a very sustainable option as well. So, and I always tell people, you know, that are, are totally freaked out, my first question is usually, you know, do you eat shrimp or lobster? And oftentimes they'll say, well, yeah, of course I do. They're delicious. And I go, okay, well, if you were allergic to those, because crickets are so closely related, you might be allergic to crickets and you and you might not be able to eat them. So you're totally fine with eating these bugs that are wet and swimming in the ocean. It's Just when we dry them off that you start to have a hang up. (laughs) All right. And does that usually break down uh, their resistance? It, you know, it gets a mixed response. I can tell some people are, get almost angry when I point <laughs> that out. Um, but other people, I can see their wheels start to turn. And I may not get them to try that right then, but I've at least opened the conversation. And they will absolutely chew on it. And normally they end up coming back.
1: And the name of, of your organization, Jim and Eats Crickets, you've got a, a cute little cricket who's uh, pumping iron. Is this a... Is that a big part of your market, a low-calorie, protein, low-fat protein source for people who are working to build muscle?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, complete protein it is just a great part of any any nutritional plan. Honestly, my, my target market is, is more towards moms with younger kids. It hmm. might be a kid with some sort of food allergy. It might be a kid that is frustratingly picky but for whatever reason they are totally fine with munching on roasted crickets and <laughs> and mom can't understand why but you know she at least knows that they're getting a, a they need, good yeah. healthy yes so it's um that i, I try to appeal yes to the gym crowd and the people who are looking for more protein but also to To kids, because quite frankly, they just are not as uh, restricted in the societal norms of what we eat. All we right, say. and
1: and give me just a brief preview. You talked about a, a large new operation. How big are you planning to get?
0: Yeah, so it'll be about four four and a half times the size of of my current. Facility and and I've just outgrown demand at this stage. You know, from 2018 through 2021, I literally doubled in size every single year. Last year we I looked to double again. We ended up um, growing by double digits. But I am am sold out of crickets through February right now while I wait for this next round to mature. And as this year continues on, we're, we're going to need more crickets. So it'll be four times the size. It'll be a little bit of a different setup, but I'm really excited about the possibilities.
1: I'm talking with Shelby Smith, founder of Jim and Eats Crickets in Collins. That's in Story County. And it's a cricket farm. <laughs> and I want to bring Becky Herman into the conversation. Back in 2016, I interviewed Becky, who was one of the founders of the first cricket farm in Iowa, Iowa Cricket farmer. She has left since left the cricket growing industry, but is very supportive of others. She's also a teacher at Iowa Big in Cedar Rapids. Hi, Becky. Hi, how's it going? Good. Welcome back to the show. And uh, you got out of the, the cricket farming business uh, in large part because of derecho damage. But as the first cricket farmer in Iowa, give me an overview of how you've seen uh, this arena develop.
3: Oh, yeah. So when we first started raising crickets in Keystone, uh, there were about just over five farms in the United States. And since then, there's over 50 farms. So that's really exciting to see that growth. Um, And just to listen to Shelby talk about, you know, how her operation is growing. It's really exciting.
1: So 50 farms, that's that's a lot of growth, but 50, the United States is a really big place. <laughs> it's, it's not that many. What do you see as the potential for this?
3: Well, you know, as, as Shelby said, you know, people have been eating bugs for thousands of years. Um, but in the West, it is kind of a new, kind of a niche thing. But you can tell, you know, in the health market, um, as she said, with people with other food allergies, you know, she's sold out through February. So it's, we never could, when we were a farm, uh, keep up with demand, and so that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, that that's kind of amazing. I I can imagine that. I don't know, a lot of a lot of businesses wish that they couldn't quite keep up with demand for what they're selling. Um, You cricket farmed for a number of years. If somebody out there is listening to this and thinking, you know, it, it sounds like a relatively low barrier to entry. Is that true, Becky? Do you feel like it's fairly easy to to get started?
3: It is. But the hard thing is just finding information. It it's really hard you know, to do an internet search to to find, you know, how to grow crickets. So there was a lot of <laughs> trial and error, I would say, when we were growing, you know, we, we try, we grow different organic vegetables and, and feed them. And we found out that broccoli is not good. Um, <laughs> so there's just certain things that you're like, okay, this, this is working. This is not. Um, and so, you know, when we first started cricket farming, we reached out to other people who had been doing this, but we found that there was kind of a barrier in terms of, they, they want lots of money Mm. um, just to talk, kind of a consulting fee. And, and we thought, you know, this is really something that could help change the world for the better. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, test out things and, and share information as much as we can. So, you know, when Shelby called, we tried to be as open as possible. We've had people call from British Columbia and Canada, uh, Armenia, Israel, a lot of different places around the world, Brazil. So it's really neat to talk to people from around the world, um, and and that you know that was really the fun part of the whole journey.
1: Absolutely, and and you're still fielding these calls even though you're out of the the cricket farming business.
3: <laughs> yes, if they stumble upon our Facebook page, they they still call. So it's it's been fun. It's been fun. So Shelby
1: as part of this cricket farming community, is there a growing community i I can understand what Becky was saying about people maybe fearing competition but are people coming together a little bit
0: yeah um, it, it kind of depends on what corner of the market you're in I would say you know that was back when 2020 hit and, and covid and all of things got shut down you know a lot of the ways that I would educate the public on on you eating crickets and and cricket farming in general, as I would do a lot of speaking engagements to clubs and schools and things like that. With that shut down, you know, I had had people begging me to start a YouTube channel. So I did that in 2020. And that has steadily grown to the point where I was able to monetize it last year, where I literally give away the entire system with which we grow. Because, you know, like Becky said, If you do a Google search, there's not a lot of information out there. So I thought, you know, there's an opportunity for me to change that and move this market forward for the better. Um... It's one of those advantages that I've had of bootstrapping this business as well. I don't have any investors, you know, at my neck telling me that I have IP, you know, or something patentable that needs to be protected. I think just in general, if we want this market to grow, that the information does need to to flow freely, and I think any time that you are dealing with an animal and a living organism like that, like best practices should be made public. You want that to be what is best for the animal. So I definitely share that.
1: Well, Shelby Smith, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. And Becky Herman, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Becky Herman was one of the founders of the first cricket farm in Iowa, Iowa Cricket Farmer. She has since left the industry, but is still helping out others. And Shelby Smith is founder of Jim and Eats Crickets in Collins in Story County, and she is expanding right now. Her products are in roughly 200 stores in 20 different states and growing Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Danny Gere, Samantha McIntosh, and Caitlin Troutman. Technical support today from Steve Cooper. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. Please subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Talk of Iowa wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Charity Nebbe.